I'm Dylan, and join me as we look back on the rich history of doom metal and its sister sounds based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week, we'll have a different guest to spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you have a question or you want to pitch something or whatever, you can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com. And we also have a Patreon. You can find that over at patreon.com slash diaryofdoom. There's going to be additional bonus podcasts going up there, at least one a month, uh, probably more. It's going to be like heavy metal movie reviews and stuff like that and horror movies and whatnot. So, um, And we just got some awesome new artwork for the tiers uh, from friend of the podcast, uh, Katie Cottrell from the I Hope You Suffer podcast. She did a great job with them. You can see them over there. Um, so go check that out. And joining us for this week's chapter is Tony Reed. He's the main force behind Moss Generator since 2000, uh, now a permanent member of Big Scenic Nowhere. And he also has a multitude of other projects that he's been associated with over the years. Uh, he's originally uh, based out of, uh, or from Dallas, Texas. And now he's based out of Port Orchard, Washington. Big Scenic Nowhere has a new album out, uh, The Long Morrow. We just talked to Bob Balk from Fu Manchu prior to this, uh, which was really cool and uh, happy to have uh, Tony on to follow up on that episode. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having. And uh, we'll give a quick behind the scenes that Tony and I had a pretty rough time doing this uh, yesterday. We had a lot of connection issues. So uh, hopefully third time is a charm here. Yes, that would be nice. Um, the the only plus was that it gave me uh, more opportunity to dive deeper into your uh, catalog of music with uh, Moss Generator you know, check out some of the stuff that wasn't just the, uh, just the albums, which um, we'll get into that. But for you having such a long prolific career in music, you know, what are your earliest experiences with music? Did you come from a musical household? I uh, grew up in a household that played music, but there was no, there were no musicians in the house. I just managed to be, I just gravitated towards anything that made sound and had knobs on it. And, uh, of course, I'd get in trouble regularly for touching the, whatever knobs I wasn't supposed to or, <laughs> or trying to trying to change the record or whatever. You know, I mean, when I was, you know, two or three, you know, there's there's my mom and dad just have stories of all kinds of stories of me, you know, messing with that stuff. They, my mom has a weird story that I guess I might have been three or four and I actually stole a 45 out of Kmart. Knights <laughs> uh, and White Satin 45. I'm like, I had no idea how I would know what that was, other than maybe they were listening to the record and it was a threshold record label. And maybe I saw a threshold on the 45, I, or it was an accident. It's an interesting story, nonetheless. I'd like to think that somehow I knew what I was doing, but probably not. <laughs> That's but, funny. You know, and, and they were, they, they brought me up with music of the time, including you know, hard, hard rock music. And you know, I know they had like paranoid in the house. And so I was born in 69. So, you know, they, they were right there, you know, being 20 to my dad was 25 when I was born. My mom was 20, but they were right there in that, you know, they took me to the Dallas international pop festival when I was six months old, that would have been 1969. And they, that was like Zeppelin and grand funk and stuff like that. And, uh, so they were they were hip on on hard rock and and there was a band from Fort Worth, you know, Dallas area where where I was born called Blood Rock, and they were you know they Blood Rock Two 
that album was in 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 my house as as long as as I can remember, you know. And, and then they would also have other other records that I would try to try to play and get in trouble for messing around with. But um, yeah, so you know. And then I, I I went to move with my grandparents. I lived lived with my grandparents for some years when I was you know seven to. 10 11 years old and that, that was like charlie pride and kenny rogers and that kind of stuff you know they listened to music but it wasn't once again wasn't really thrown at me i just managed to kind of gravitate towards anything that i could make noise with so the, yeah the answer is yeah there wasn't much going on in the household to influence me to play but you you'd find that calling eventually of course and then when did you start to find yourself getting into into metal i mean you said paranoid was in the house i think that's kind of sabbath was at that obviously even at that time like sort of that is you know predating their their definition as like a godfather of you know rock and roll and and or a godfather of heavy metal excuse me um so when did you find yourself starting to get into like metal like most people that that are my age which is 53 uh kiss is going to be kind of the gateway Mm -hmm. and you know that's not metal but that's certainly going from like you know me dabbling with some 45s and having a few records in my collection at eight or nine years old um and then discovering kiss at around that time through my cousin who had brought up a cassette when he came up to visit for the summer with no case and i heard deuce from kiss alive and i was floored I saw the imagery after that. And then, you know, he, he introduced me to Rush and, and all the, he was like three or four years older than me. So, you know, through, through those years, he was bringing me the Nugent and, the, and Foghat and, 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 and all kind of, he didn't get too, uh, too far into the heavy aspect of it. It was kind of just, you know, what 70s teenage kids listen to is what I got exposed to. But Kiss and Rush seemed to stick the most. And then I started to venture off at about 11 is when I really started to look for like heavier music. I saw, I saw Sabbath when I was 12 on the mob rules tour. And I was well into like getting into finding heavier things by that point. Um, including because I was already in, in tune with Sabbath some, you know, had some of the records and stuff. And then, then I saw heavy metal and, and, and uh, the and mob rules came on and I was like, what, what is I, cause I didn't know what it was. You know, I think I was 12 or something like that. And I was like, what, what's this singer sounds like this dude singing Man on the Silver Mountain, you know, like, so I recognized the voice, but I didn't know who it was. And I waited for the credits. And so it was Sabbath and when Bob bought Mob Rules, because I grew up in a really small, really small town that just you could barely even, you know, I'd have to drive into town to buy a record. And that was rare that we even left the farm to go. I grew up like in a really on the a town with a gas station and a school and a restaurant. And that was it, you know? And when we'd drive into town, which was 15 miles away, that seemed like it was, you know, when you're a little kid, that seemed like it was hundreds of miles. Yeah. So you go to, go to the department store. That's where you buy records at the grocery store or the part to pay less or something like that. There was no record stores, but yeah, it's just, you know, and then we got a record store in town and that's when I really started to, to dive into what was, what was to kind of mold my guitar playing and, and songwriting in, in, in the early times. 
Maiden was a huge, huge thing. I mean, and, and of course they had Eddie. Anybody, any kid, any thirteen-year-old kid that sees Number of the Beast album cover is going directly for that. So yeah, I would be around twelve or thirteen is when I got my first guitar, borrowed it, learned Iron Man, and then from there I was writing songs immediately. Actually, like I learned Iron Man, and then I wrote a song. Yeah, that's about it, you know. And, and it was the usual Sabbath Maiden. Mm-hmm. Priest showed up, and the early Priest is what I listened to first, like the first couple of albums, like Sad Wings and Rockerola era stuff. I was perplexed by Screaming for Vengeance, oddly enough. It was weird. Anyway, that's a whole long other story, but yeah, <laughs> that's kind of where it all started. In regards to your, uh, uh, you're talking about, you know, the love of heavy metal, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but, uh, you know, that's something I can tell that, you know, you were able to cut, take that heavy hard rock sound that's really permeated, you know, this scene. And then, you know, you've never forgotten your metal roots, you know, and that's what's really cool about listening to it. Because I, you know, when I was diving into the the library of your, or the catalog of your, of your band, it was like really nice to hear like some fucking thrashy riffs like pop up, you know, whenever, you know, it's kind of surrounded by stuff that's like down tuned and whatnot, you know, it's just like those little flavor crystals that the music needs to keep it, you know, interesting. And, but it is kind of to rebound off that, you know, when we were talking yesterday, you mentioned that, you know, you also love a lot of music that exists outside of the realm of whatever you want to call it, metal or heavy music or what have you. So did, uh, keeping an open mind to that, did that help you or make you think differently about music as a whole? Were you just like, Nope, I just am an all consumer of it. Yeah. I mean, I could go back to those same, those same times that I might've been discovering, you know, like I said, Sabbath or, or Van Halen or, and these are, this has been the late seventies and early eighties. And I uh, can remember hearing da, do, 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 da, 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 da on the radio by mm-hmm. the police. And I was absolutely floored. I was so taken by that sound of that. And so there's been things in my life that, once I joined a band, I started to discover that I was going to need to explore. You know, I couldn't just be happy playing one sound or 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 just putting one sound in a band. It had to be, uh, you know, there had to be other elements to the sound. And that that's what broke up my first band was that I, you know, we were like a maiden Saxon priest type band. And I wanted to do a Tom Petty cover. And this was like 85 or something. I wanted to do You Got Lucky. And uh, they, were, they weren't having it. And, and I was like, man, this is a really cool song. You know, and, uh, and they weren't having it. And I knew right there, I said, I can't, I can't do this. I need to have something. More. I'm not realizing that I could have more than one band. That's before. So I, I left that and started just playing with people that were more open-minded or maybe even, you know, just willing to do whatever just to play music and we were all really not you know we weren't very good but at least it was musical exploration and i found that during that time you know i went to as much as i went to another way i went more extreme everybody that likes starts out listening to a certain kind of hard rock or metal starts searching you know you kind of the next gateway is like motorhead and then you get into slayer you know and then it turns into you know a lot of that pushes into the hardcore scene which i got really into and but then that that in turn, once you start exploring that, you find I found went backwards and found goth, 
you know, because some mm-hmm. of those bands, those, those, you know, those early bands like DI or stuff like that, you know, that or, or, or TSOL, they're, they're exploring, they're a punk band that's, that has those roots. And so once you hear that, then I moved into the full goth thing and that still holds really true to me you know like Bauhaus and Christian Death and and the Cure and Death Cult the Cult all that kind of stuff that's that's actually probably what I listen to as much as any other kind of music is what you know the the new romantic or whatever that kind of movement or goth or whatever you might want to call it you know they all have a lot of like layers and atmosphere and that's something that I think pops up in a lot of your music is like you have a like a, a like an ability to sort of like like fill the whole zone with it you know like you kind of like you reach out you touch it it's almost like you could feel it kind of around you in, in a way you know it's like a, a more immersive experience i guess if that no, makes any that's, sense that makes a lot of sense i i, I appreciate you recognize uh, you know recognizing that because sometimes i think that uh, a lot of the layering and texturing and and the influences in the songs i write get overlooked just by so much is being thrown at people these days. They barely have time to get through a record once before the next one is just already hit the turntable or whatever they're listening to it on. You know, it just, things pass by so fast. And that, that is a huge difference between when I was, you know, with like now and when I was young, just getting, getting a, a new record every couple of weeks was a big deal. So you had time to really take in what you got, you know, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You know, since you were talking about that was your musical ex- uh, exploration years, you know, can you delve, a, you know, a little bit more into your earlier bands before you formed uh, Moss Generator and, and how they may have, you know, helped the pave the way for that? There's one in particular that I thought was pretty cool that I found. Uh, you'll probably bring it up. Well, okay. So there's, you know, there's the, the first band, Trader which metal band. And then I had a band called lies of Liberty, which was a yeah, hard, that's the one. hardcore band. And, uh, and that was once again, you know, small town stuff. We didn't really ever, we didn't play very many shows and, and, but those, those songs stuck with me. Of course, Moss generator re-recorded a bunch of those songs on a record a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, all the songs I wrote in around 86 or 87. And then from there, there was a, a band, like it went kind of goth from there. And then this goth band, which was called 1230 Dreamtime, that band lasted from 88 to 2000 and went through just crazy, crazy changes. Because I was taking in music so fast, I couldn't even write, I couldn't even stay in a genre for more than a couple of months. I just, it was, I, I really got into funk and then I, and, and, and a lot of prog rock. I, I discovered King Crimson in my late teens and just went crazy with that. And then there was other bands that were coming along too that were contemporaries, just they were our age, or like bands like No Means No and, and Victims mm-hmm. Family. And there's a local band called My Name. And they were just, they were trying, they were really testing their, you know, their musical ability and their playing. So I got really into that too, along with like, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm into funk and I'm into, you know, the soul and all this, but also into this other, you know, hardcore thing. So I'm trying to put everything together. And then I, you know, power pop, like big, like bands like Big Star, which Big Star is one of my top favorite bands of all time. Big Star and, is very good. <laughs> yep. And I mean, I, I'm a ma- massive Big Star collector of all the ardent singles and records and promos and all that stuff. I mean, I, 
um, it, so I try to add that into the music too, or like a pop sensibility or stuff like Prince. Prince is a huge influence. You can't hear it, but it's totally there. And there's, you know, like people like him and Bowie, real prolific writers that, that moved through lots of changes and tried things, tried to put things together that weren't supposed to be together. That's their massive inspiration to me. And uh, so that was me, my, my, in the nineties, in my twenties was a real exploration time for me. And during that time, during the nineties, I was in a band called tree people out of Seattle, which a great we, name for a band. Thank you. We were, it was like, it was like Husker do. That's what we always got compared to or dinosaur junior. It was mm-hmm. that alternative rock. And then, and uh, I was in, the, and Doug Marsh was in that band and he went to form built, built a spill. And but we records and did that was my first touring stuff that I did. That was the first time I'd ever left my area and went out on the road. And then a couple years after that, I was in a band called Goodbye Harry, and that was with some friends from around here. And then the singer from All, and uh, and All was on Cruise Records. And when we went to record the record, Cruise Records was owned by Greg Ginn from Black Flag. So we went to his studio in California to record. So I'm like 20 three or 24 and i love black flag one of my favorite bands and we got to go to greg in studio and he took us out to breakfast every day so i'm tripping like geeking hard right like it took me like <laughs> three days to ask him a, a, a black flag question you know because i didn't want to seem like it you know one of you those didn't want to be that guy yeah but uh so you know things were going well in, in in the music during my during the the, the 90s i i wrote a lot of music and got to do a lot of cool things and then then it kind of just you know slowed down i didn't know how to promote myself or get the music out there i had a lot of opportunity not a lot but a few opportunities uh in the early late 80s early 90s because they were trying to sign anybody that was from the northwest labels were just coming up like crazy and i i never responded to a couple of these inquiries these letters i got from bigger labels I, cause I didn't think the music, I didn't think what I was doing was good enough. And now I look back and, and I, I think that's a ridiculous thought. I really, I'm, you know, I'm not totally bummed out or tripped out, but I'm like, man, I, re- I really wish I would have at least responded to them and, and sent them something, you know, cause we were getting reviews. Mm-hmm. And like I said, at, at that point, man, if you were even close to Seattle you, and you played gigs, you were, you were getting looked at and, uh, wow. That's crazy. Like, do you, I mean, this is kind of a weird, like a weird esoteric question, but I mean, do you think like your creation of uh, like Moss Generator, just even like what your career, do you think if you had like taken up those opportunities, you think it still like would have come along or do you think it would have been different? It's hard to say. I try not to dwell on that because it right, really, yeah. it's not a good idea. And, and, and even when I think about it hard, I'm like, yeah, I think I've, I've got to make the music that I want to make. And I've had a wonderful career you know i mean everybody wants more out of it but you know i get to do i get to do what i want but yeah i i feel like you know and my reasoning was that that i didn't respond was the demos that we had made were four track demos done and i you know i was i started recording myself as a teenager uh just because we didn't have any studios where i grew up and i you know even our four track recordings are almost album quality from even when i was like 20. I was really into production and doing things like that, but I still didn't feel like my performance was good enough. And I didn't realize that these record executives can just hear, they could hear a practice recording. That's really, and go, 
they have potential that band we could work with and i didn't think like that or or i might have if i did have those thoughts or understood that i might have taken a different path and 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 responded and who knows what could have happened from that i could have grown in in or not grown i think sometimes the struggle is what makes you know makes things happen the, the yeah. you know passion and the like man i you know you don't have any i think for me the expectation of doing something to to sell records or do that would 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 ruin it for me i can't have expectations like that i have to live up to my own expectations which i put enough on myself like i put a lot of expectation on myself as a record producer and a songwriter and a musician for sure and i i can't imagine anybody else putting more it would have probably ruined me so i i can look at the the path that i'm on as real positive and and I can be happy th that what I've done is at least is at least out there. Right. I mean, that all makes sense to me. After this 1230 dream time with Tree People and Goodbye Harry and other bands. I mean, I've been in a whole bunch of bands. Actually, some of the stuff's getting reissued or, or issued for the first time. Some of the bands that I were in in this area, like some real pretty heavy experimental metal bands and stuff. Uh, so like there's an album getting released of, of this band I was in called Wood Rot, and it's just me and some friends making this really cool, like, uh, tripped out metal record, you know, in 94. So it, it's cool that that music's getting recognized. And, 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 and I've re-recorded a bunch of the goth stuff from 88. And there's two, there's one record already out and a second one coming out of that stuff where I, where I re-recorded it now, playing it, just recording it better, trying to play it the same. But I wrote mm -hmm. like 40 plus songs in 1988 when I was 19. And so on all those songs are cool to me. So it's cool that the, the, the past is, is catching up to me now, catching up to where I'm at. And that's super rewarding to know that what I did back then has worth now when I thought maybe it didn't. I mean, I knew that for myself it did because I was accomplishing things and learning, but I didn't think anybody would ever care to, to be going in you know the that way and that's 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 rewarding to me and i think you're in a fan base that is they're gonna go for that they're gonna look into it because people like to kind of trace the roots back and like see where things started you know with bands and, and see where it begins so it's yeah. a cool opportunity to like see all that stuff plus i think it's a good uh it's a good example of like a good use of of you of technology and modern methods uh and doing something just like tweaking it enough to make it sound good and like more listenable and not really like changing up the bass formula or anything like that. You know, yeah, you're kind of doing that, the that's right what thing. I'm going for. I'm trying to keep capture the feel, but if the performance is a bit better and the recording is, and sometimes you don't want it too much better. So you, you let it be raw in ways. So all that said, now we're at 2000 and that's when, when Moss generator formed. And so Moss generator is comprised of the longest running lineup from 1230 Dreamtime. So I've known, mm. so Sean and Scooter were the original Moss Generator rhythm section for 14 years. Those guys I've been playing music with, I've been playing music with Scooter since 89 and with Sean since 90. So I'd already, we were already, let's, we had broken, we had split up. Sean had left Dreamtime, we got another drummer. And then three or four years later, Sean had heard what we were doing with some of the new material. And he always wanted to play, he liked heavy. 
So he's like, let's start like a band that sounds like Mountain. And I mean, we talked about it. Let's do the heavy, heavy stuff again, you know. And uh, so that's how that started. And we always agreed that the foundation, no matter where we went, the foundation of the band would be based on generally 70s heavy rock. And then from there we went, you know, we went on and made a, a whole bunch of records. And uh, we, we took a break in 2008 and I did a band called Stone Axe, did some touring and some uh, three albums. And then that only lasted a few years and then Moss got together. And then in 2015 or 14, I let that original rhythm section go because I needed to tour more. I'm like, I can't, you know, the families had come along and everybody you know, mm -hmm. couldn't go out on the road. And I'm like, I need to really see if I can make this work. And then I found another Sean. The weird thing is, so Scooter's name is John. So the original rhythm section is Sean and John. And the new guys are Sean and John. <laughs> but the but the instrument switched. The drummer is <laughs> John. Yeah. Did you so, ever find yourself like goofing it up? No, no, not at all. No. <laughs> so, and then from 2015, I've had this rhythm section and we've toured crazy amounts. Europe, Europe quite a few times. I mean, the original band toured Europe a couple of times and did some festivals and stuff. And then this band has done Europe many times in the US and stuff like that and, and, and made some records together. That's kind of the, the, the abridged version. There's a million bands in between those. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then the big scenic thing and, you know, it's guest songs. I mean, and then my, you know, through all of this starting in 94 is when I, uh, started my own stu recording studio. And so pretty much in 99, I was able to quit my job and I haven't, I've been my own boss for 23 years or whatever, you know, uh, mixing and mastering bands for a living. That's also, you know, after a certain, a few albums that I did it really upped my game when I, I did a St. Vitus record and that, that really pushed me into this genre you know, and, and being able to work more with these kind of bands with the, with the heavy stoner type bands, uh, along with my other, you know, the, the general clientele that I would have had over the years. And then being in Moss generator too, is also like, you know, people have heard those records and wanted to, wanted that sound or whatever. Maybe we'll, we'll just uh, jump to that. Uh, Cause I had uh, wanted to, talk about you know your kind of your production uh work um because it's pretty prolific just in as much as like you're being a musician you're prolific um and you know as you ex explained it like you've uh, actually or as you've explained what you do um actually some previous guests of this podcast are in your repertoire um that would be Lightmaker and Eternal Black both from New York Ken did the theme song for this. So I, you know, he's, he's a, been a really great friend to the podcast. Like, so do you find production work to be um, like a more satisfying experience uh, working in around music or does it sort of like scratch the respective itch just as like making music does just as touring does whatever? Well, I first like kind of mentioned earlier to go to the start, I, I started recording just mm. because there were no studios and I couldn't afford it even if I wanted to. That started that. And then, you know, and I had to do it to make a living. If I wanted to be able to take the time to be a professional musician, I also had to be able to not work a regular job. And so I do like, I'm, I'm starting to get less interested in it 
you know, it does take away from my creative time a lot of the times. So if I take on a real heavy job, like going to Australia for three weeks or something like that, you know, it does take away from from things because I've, I've been lucky to be able to do some traveling with it as well. And, you know, I like the ma- the mastering. Well, now I'm pretty much just a, a mix engineer. I don't record bands very much anymore because, well, for one, you know, the, a lot of them are far away. So right. they record in their town and send it to me and I mix it or they've already finished it somewhere and I master it. And mastering for vinyl is one thing that I do a lot these days. And the mastering part, you know, it's nice because it doesn't take a, it doesn't take up too much time for me and it doesn't, you know, really uh, destroy my ears. But I think it's, it's just a means to be able to be a musician, the, the production part. It just, it's just helps keep me in, in the money I need to, to live and to, to buy gear. So I do enjoy it, of course. Or I wouldn't do it because that's that's part of it too. You can't not like what you're doing, especially something that's that is really cool actually. And when it's inspiring, it's it's really inspiring. Like you, you, you when you find the sweet spot in a mix, and you've been working on it for a while, and you can't find it, and then you you find that little thing. Yeah, that's that's good stuff for for someone like me anyway. Well, I mean, it's just it's really cool. Like, I just think it's really neat just looking back and just seeing like how many like albums like you've touched and like, you know, knowing and like, you know, did you I guess it's another one of those weird questions. But like, did you ever like foresee yourself becoming like a go to guy in this scene for bands that like wanted to put them out? Because I mean, it's not I feel like these are, you know, these are like two like just for the ones that I named are like, you know, they're two local bands, you know, like it was that I did you ever think that you were going to become like kind of a fixture? Nah, not not when I first started being, you know, uh, uh, an engineer. And I don't know that it really mattered much to me because I got some offers early on in my mixing career to work at some big studios, even from these 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 studio heads or, or engineers in these studios hearing my four track recordings. They were like, wait, wait, do you want to come and work here? Like, nah. You know what I mean? I, I just want to make my own music. I don't really care to, to be. Mm-hmm. So it really it was something I didn't think about. I do like doing it now because it keeps my finger on the pulse of, of what's going on in the scene that I play music in. So that's good to kind of to know what's going on around you and, and, and stuff like that. And, I, and I've done hundreds and hundreds of records in this in this genre. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that, that, that it's that what I do is recognized. And I try to keep I try to keep the costs down. I know that a lot of people don't have money and uh, I've you know, it's it doesn't mean a lot to me to to make a ton of money. So there's that, too. That might be part of it. Oh, Tony's cheap, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so that, that could be part of it. But I try not to to take advantage of musicians either, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like finding that sweet spot between, you know, I got to live, but I also want to like do you solid, you know? Exactly. Yep. To uh, move into Moss Generator, which I checked out a lot of stuff. Actually, you know, I just wanted to mention, like, I really did like that uh, Lies of Liberty release that you put out. I thought that was a really cool little project that you were able to put out under the the Moss Generator banner and to like show, you know, showcase your earlier work and give them like a proper re-recording. But like, you know, just 
you, you know, really emulated the sound of, of hardcore without, you know, strictly just being like, you know, you just like, like, I just want to do a hardcore record. I don't care if it sounds like, you know, my war or whatever again. Right. Well, and that one, um, that one, just a little nerdy recording that was done on seven tracks of an eight track live. The music's live. And I did the, I did the vocals and, and, and patched up a few things, but they was literally, we stood down there and I would play through the song and then we would play it once or twice and then we record it. Okay. Here's how the next one goes. And then we would record it. So literally in like four hours, we made that record just from, from the ground, from the bottom up, here's how it goes, you know? And like, these are songs I wrote a long time ago, not really knowing if anybody would release it. Let's just record it for our own fun. Cause we can do it in, in, three or four hours. And, and, and those are the kind of things like we, you know, we, we touched on spontaneous combustions yesterday, but you know, is an album of free form jamming and, mm-hmm. or, or, or an album of us playing in an airplane hangar with other members of the band. We I'm totally willing to go all kinds of other ways with this band. I'm willing to just do, do step out of the bounds, you know, yeah, that's that's uh and that's kind of the proof but i'm telling you people love when we play those hardcore tunes we play them sometimes on you know at the shows play two or three of them you know people mm-hmm. go crazy over that sometimes we open with them especially if there's like a real slow doom band before us that just you know we just open with those because they're faster and shit you know anyway yeah i'm going off into other worlds <laughs> sorry no no I, problem <laughs> But no, this is great. I mean, I, I just think it's really cool to give yourself that opportunity uh, to like check that out. And it's cool that you can like seamlessly kind of fit them into a set list and people get fucking like really amped for them, you know? Yeah, we, we played a show a couple of weeks ago with High on Fire. The crowd was, there was a little pit. Even when we were playing our slow numbers, I'm like, okay, the hard ones, are, you know, hardcore ones are coming up. You know what I mean? I'm like, this one's for you guys. And we played some of those real fast ones. And and they just went bonkers. It was it was it was cool. I mean, it was weird that they were doing that when we were just playing like even the slower, heavier stuff. But yeah, that that's super cool. Sometimes people don't know what to think. They're kind of floored by it. They're like, "What's going on here?" But a lot of the times, they know where we're coming from. They can hear the influences. It's totally for me. It was like discharge and and there's a band from Fresno called Capital Punishment. They were an '80s band. They're so amazing. And that's a huge influence on me, especially in on those tunes or Fang and stuff like that. You know, I just recorded a, an appearance on a internet radio show all about Japanese doom metal, and you know, by proxy, you wind up checking out a bunch of other bands. And like, I've heard of them before, but I mean, it makes me think of that band Gizm. And yeah, like, you know, listening to them, I'm just like, this band is fucking insane, and and yep. actually is insane. Like, they did live up to their reputation as being a fucking like batshit crazy. Japanese hardcore punk rock band. Yep, I got I heard them first on the Peace Comp. That was a this really killer compilation from the eighties that had like fucking I don't know how many it's double album it had probably eighty songs on it or something. Came with the book and stuff and they were that their song is awesome from that. Anyway. <laughs> Good stuff, nerd alert. <laughs> uh well, a, a friend of mine, you know, wanted me to ask you because he told me 
because I let him know that we were going to be talking. Uh, my buddy August, who's been on this podcast before, he wanted me to ask you if the name of Moss Generator comes from a drum head that kept having moss grow on it in your in an old practice space. Is that true? So from this story, because the the name comes from Sean, the original drummer, and mm -hmm. he had a kick drum that had been stored out in a garage and it was a kick drum that we used in dream time and it sounded amazing and on those old recordings and he retired it and left it outside in this garage and it grew moss on it and so started calling it that and when we were recording our first demos as as an unnamed band we were trying to get a kick drum sound in the studio and i'm like, like i wish we had the moss generator because that's what we called the bass drum so that was like, let's just call the band that. So the first album is called The Moss Generator. Like, that's what we were called, actually. We were billed as The Moss, you know, with a the. Because mm -hmm. I used to love those old those old recordings, you know, old live, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Led Zeppelin, you know. So, and right. it would be the, or the Cream or whatever. So we, we did that because the first album has a lot of that more rock, more 70s feel to it. Really quite a bit of 70s feel to the to the record so we were kind of emulating that and but in, in name as well but so yes that that is pretty correct and i should have spelled it with two s's because it gets called most a lot and uh that that's my fault you know <laughs> oh so th that wasn't like a creative decision I, I i figured it was some kind of it was just like is it was just like a like a oops no, no, it was a creative decision. I'm only going to use one S. You know, well, that's Led Zeppelin is spelled with, spelled wrong, basically, for Led. That's true. You know, maybe that was part of it, too. I don't know if I can, but yeah, it was, it was with one S on purpose. You know, and knowing that what we are referencing to was spelled with two S's. Um, gotcha. I mean, I, I almost spelled it with M-A-S, which is uh, more, you know. Um, that could work, too. Yep. But uh, anyway, then, th then that wouldn't mean anything like, you know, it wouldn't mean anything to the bass drum. But yeah, it was too late after the first album was done and pressed when I wanted to change the, the name, but uh, or the spelling. So, yes, that was his assumption or his thoughts were pretty close to right. And I might even be wrong. I think Sean is like, dude, that's not right. Something like that. I just say a story because <laughs> I'm pretty sure in my memory, that's that's what it was. I do remember saying, I wish we had the Moss generator. And then let's call the pan. I remember standing right in the studio I was working at at that point. That is pretty fucking rad origin story for a name, though. Oh, that's cool. I didn't I always thought, eh, you know, it's like, it's good to think that somebody, you know, because you just, you're always bummed. No one's really ever happy with their band name after they've had it for a while. You're like, ah, I wish we were called something else or, you know. Well, now that you've been at it for 20 years with uh, Moss Generator, you know, like, you know, kind of besides the obvious with the rise of like internet and, and digital, we kind of, we touched on this yesterday and you said that mm -hmm. it, the internet was a, like a pretty big boon to uh, finding some further success uh, with the band, you know, like, is there any other like major changes uh, that you, you know, you've kind of like perceived with the, with the internet? 
Well, not with the, well, I mean, yeah, the internet has certainly changed, but I mean, just sort of like your, your band's existence, like sort of like as it's moved forward, like over time, you know, I mean, you've, you've obviously uh, opened up like new fans and I'm sure the internet paved the way for that. And I'm sure like, you know, when you return, when you, uh, when uh, Moss Generator like returns sort of, so to speak, you know, it, it, you kind of, the way you described it to me, sort of like there was like sort of like welcome back with open arms and uh and and open mind you know people were excited to see it well all i can say i mean i can't you know because really i know that the scene this scene in general has changed over the last 22 years because you know when we first started you couldn't you could only play this kind of music in major cities and then you would still have pretty light attendance it just wasn't happening and then over the years that grew and grew and, and then now you can play in you know it just about any small town you could play where i live and there'll be a, a pretty decent audience because the town where i live in is maybe 12 or fourteen thousand people mm -hmm. and so i mean of course the, the internet's a big part of that and that's 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 pretty much going to be the reason for anything changing in anybody's musical career kind of over mm -hmm. the last 20 years that's going to be a huge thing and, and but like you gotta like learn to live with it at this point you know if you, if yeah. you don't it's sort of like it go you know, kind of kind of hurts your chances yeah and it's the it's really the only way that's allowed me to to have success mostly because i still suffer from the same let's see um just the fears that I have, uh, you know, I couldn't like now just being not anonymous, but being able to approach things uh, musically, like to push myself without having to talk to anybody about it, you know, or to be, re to be rejected uh, face to face or rejected directly. And that's what my fear was before the internet. I couldn't even hardly try to get gigs or do that kind of stuff. Cause I was just scared that the response was going to be, negative because you you at least have to send a lot of doing things through the mail and so you either didn't get anything back or you got a rejection letter which is the same thing as as it is now but it's you can do it in such mass now that you only look at the stuff you get back that's positive right and i really should have had a manager all these years just so i wouldn't have to deal with that business part of it, of things it probably mm -hmm. would have changed the career completely so so i wouldn't have to be in fear of of getting turned down or or or, or you know not liked or whatever it's mm -hmm. it's a stupid thing but it's there but really all i try to do is make music and not pay attention to to a lot of things so like this you know what's what's happened over the years is I, Once again, yeah. that question, that yeah. question stumped me yesterday too. Yeah. But I mean, I think that, I think that's interesting though, that like, you know, kind of regardless of like the, whether it makes it easier for you as a musician to get things done or to just like get, get your name out there to people for, you know, future projects and like, you know, you know, like I'm, I'm unemployed right now and I'm just like firing out job applications. And it's just like, if you don't hear back from the 10 that you did today, then you're just like, whatever, you move on to the next thing. And it's like, you blanket on like the, the negative so that it doesn't, it's like, there's so much of it. You're like, eh, like, you're just really looking for the diamond in the rough basically. 
So yeah. I, I think that's kind of interesting that like, you know, even after all these years, sort of like that little, there's still that little bit of like that uh, latent fear of, you know, rejection and, and whatnot, because like, you know, when it, when it does come, it does come and it probably hits you in a similar way that it did back then, even, you know, maybe not as yeah. intense because you've had a bigger career and you have more opportunities and people want to work with you, but you know, it's still there. For sure. And if you lose that kind of stuff, I think that's not good for uh, a growing musician to, to I, I, I think it's good to have those kind of fears in some ways. It ha does help you grow. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm always looking for in, in every way as a musician, songwriter, engineer, you know, even as a, for sure, as you know, I've seen myself get better as a, as a, as a vocalist for sure over the, over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, which is, I would have never imagined as a, as a youngster that, cause I've always struggled with my vocals and especially live. I didn't learn how to breathe until later on, until I started doing a lot of heavy touring. I didn't learn how to breathe on stage properly just to know, you know, when I'm 25, I thought I wouldn't even be playing music at my age and I'm better than I ever have been. That's pretty amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. Not, not, no, not like I'm amazing, but to me in my own brain. Right. You know, it, it, it actually gives me the confidence to keep working on it. Anyway, there's, that's that. In doing so, obviously, you know, you've also had the chance to tour with, you know, some cornerstones of the scene, like St. Vitus and Fu Manchu. And you've also been able to tour with some of the newer crop, like Elder. And I'm sure those have been some pretty amazing experiences. Is there anything from your long history of touring that you kind of hold in high regard? And then is there, was there a particularly bad touring experience that you uh, kind of like can look back on and be like, damn, that sucked, but at least I can laugh about it now. Yeah, there's, there's been a few of those. I'll start with that because that, <laughs> okay. that comes right into my mind immediately. So we had just finished a tour of Europe and I think it was 2017. We had done five weeks and three it was three weeks or two two and a half weeks with vitus so half the tour was with vitus and half the tour was as a headliner and we went through a lot of things to hoops you jump through hoops to get this done and so we're at the last gig you know and and we're we're going to it's in italy and we're going kind of to a remote area but we have to be to the airport pretty early not I mean not not for late at like at four in the morning but the airport's a long ways away well we run out of gas I don't know how that happened. So our driver runs to get gas. The cops show up. They're, they're hassling us. I'm like, I'm feeling bad about this, man. We should, you know, the guy comes back and we, we get to the gig and the the band before us is, is informed that we have to go to the airport, but they still played two extra songs, which cut our sets like 30 minutes. And I'm already feeling like we shouldn't even be here. When we got pulled over, we should have went to the airport. Okay. We get done. We get to the airport. We get dropped off, we get in, and we're like, we're at the wrong airport. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I figured there should be some kind of tour book or something. You know, you know, we should already have that figured out. We call the dude, and he comes back and gets us. We And we go to the other airport in the city. We get there. We miss it by nothing. So, Okay. That sucks. But when we get home from the flight from the from tour, 
we're supposed to get in the van and drive from Seattle to San Francisco and start a tour with Saint, with Fu Manchu. So we don't have much time. So we find flights because we missed our flight and we had to get on a plane. So we, we had to spend all the money that we made as, as a, you know, that we would have gained in the tour to buy new flights immediately. Um, so, but we have to go back to the other airport. The first one, the flights that we can get immediately are at the other airport. So then we have to call a cab and take a $150 taxi to the other airport. And then we, so then we got back to Seattle and we had three hours to get the van loaded and go to San Francisco after a flight from Europe and, and tons of stress. So yeah, that was a real bummer because we lost all of our profits because of it. Cause it costs a thousand bucks a person to get a flight that, that quick, more, a little more than that actually. So yeah, that was stressful. But the tours with, you know, we, we've done a couple of tours with Fu Manchu, a couple of tours with Vitus and a couple of tours with Elder. And then we've had some good, like, uh, kind of double headliners or, or headlining tours. But all those larger tours are always great for us because we're looking for, the, you know, everybody's looking for maximum exposure. So all these gigs would be 500 to 800 people a night, you know, especially like the Fu Manchu and the Vitus were 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 big big shows every night and then the elder the elder the, we did some u.s dates with them and we did a full seven week european tour with them and that was there was a heat wave during that it was outrageous it had to be in a 105 it was over 100 every day oh, you know man. over there they don't like air conditioners <laughs> you know so you're just i lost <laughs> tons of weight i i looked really weird when i came back you know <laughs> Like haggard, um, like you went to war. Yeah, it was an it was a, an amazing experience though. We had a, a blast with them, so that was super cool to. And they were, you know, it was a it was a band that you didn't mind listening to every night, and you know, we'd already made some kind of connection before that, so we knew each other. We've we've had some good experiences, you know, taking taking the music out. And I'm the kind of player that doesn't it doesn't bother me if there's twelve people at the show. Or whatever. Some sometimes, sometimes you'll be on tour on your own, and you'll be in some weird place that you just needed a makeup show, so you didn't have a day off. So you'll go play somewhere weird that generally doesn't have stuff just to play a gig, and you might be playing in front of 12, 15, 20 people, and that 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 doesn't bother me. Uh, I like the connection. Still, the connection is the most important thing from the stage for sure. And then, you know, of course, we like the big festivals. We played Hellfest a couple times and Freak Valley and, and a whole bunch of those European festivals. Roadburn. Roadburn. Yeah, well, that, was, that was our first show in Europe ever was Roadburn. And talk about nerve-wracking. That was it's crazy. quite a debut. Yeah. Yep. And I did some dumb things. Like, didn't I, I left a gauge of strings on my guitar that are smaller than I usually play. And I don't know why. And I got my guitar wouldn't stay in tune. And I was over extending my bends and stuff during the set. Cause I wasn't used to the, how slinky they were. That was a weird, anyway, excuses, excuses, but still a great memory. That tour, that was with uh, blood of the sun. We toured with them in 2008. That was a super cool tour. Cause it was our first European run. So we were geeking. 
Well, it's good to know that there are, uh, it sounds like the good experiences outweigh the poor ones. I mean, that's, whew, I, I would be sweating a, bullets. It's a large percentage better doing mm-hmm. this. You know, you, you forget about riding in the van for long periods and you, you, you start to just focus on the stage time when you think back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what stays in your mind is the, the times where that you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing. This is the, this is what I'm, this is what I should be doing with my life. Right. It's not fun really generally, especially for someone like me, that's a introvert and a homebody. Uh, that's where I like, I don't go out hardly ever and, and do anything. I don't, you know, I, I just stay home and I make music all day. I either work on it or, or on, on a client or on my own, or, or that's, that's pretty much what I do during the day anyway. I figured, you know, you'd want to talk about, uh, you know, getting involved with big scenic nowhere for at least uh, a little bit. And, uh, sure, uh yeah. Bob, uh, had, uh, said that him and, uh, Gary, like they wanted you to be involved, uh, in big scenic nowhere and you know now you're in yet another band uh but you know it seemed like it was a perfect opportunity for you because it's pretty clear you can stretch your musical muscles pretty far and wide with it and i think bob had remarked like i actually don't know how he does it sometimes he kind of seems to defy reality like <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> i don't <nice>. know <laughs> um but it's cool that they were like yeah we're, we definitely want to be able to bring in somebody like tony because he can like just do fucking all these things and uh you know obviously the final product is like really fucking cool and i think it's i think it's definitely one of the cooler like collaborative projects that's kind of come out of the scene over the years yeah i i would like i would like to think so you know i was because i know that you know i got asked early on just to to sing on something and that's because you know that was after the Fu Manchu tours so that's how I knew Bob and from Play This Riff he had me on there doing the, um, the Lonely One riff so yeah and I was, yeah, I'd love to sing on that and I sent him some I sent him something back like a couple hours later or something he's like oh my god dude like what's what's going on here and, and he was which was great for me to hear, you know, cause you're scared to do that with anybody to send somebody something. You're hoping that they, they're going to be stoked on it. And then, you know, of course, you know, by the time we got to that first EP, I think, cause yeah, it was really only the, after the first album, the, the vision beyond horizon, that's, well, there's an EP before that. So that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm losing track of the, the, this garden. <laughs> it's weird that we've only been in the same room once uh to record but we've made you know all these records out of a lot of that material plus there was some stuff they had before that but yeah it was cool to be like a full member you know and bob and i have a really good relationship a creative relationship we can really just bounce things off and nobody's there's never really been any turned down ideas there's hardly any modifications to anything somebody sends one thing yeah that works cool put it in there you know there's a lot of editing i have to say that i sit at the computer and do a lot of editing because these are all basically 10 to 20 minute one part jams and so i have to do editing to make them sound like they're songs yeah, and and, uh, and you know Bob has a lot of ideas, and I have a lot of ideas, and then and then we just filter in 
you know, you know, Bill's just usually playing. He's a solid drummer. He keeps it, you know, it's weird that from a, from the beginning to, and 20 minutes later, he's still playing in the same meter. That's, you know, that's, you know, I can cut things up and move them around and that doesn't, you, if you're not affected by that meter wise, it's pretty, pretty rad actually. And, uh, and then Gary's got his atmosphere, his thing going on, which is really uh, something that I've never dealt with. His style was completely foreign to me. Mm-hmm. So, and that not everybody can do that. That's, that's why I understand, you know, why the interest that SST and Greg Ginn had in Yawning Man and stuff, because uh, Greg loves those weird guitar players and Gary certainly fits that, that mold. He's just got his own style and, and it doesn't, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense to me, but it makes complete sense in his application of it. And it's very unique. And uh, so it's, it's an interesting thing to put kind of four real different types of, of players because as guitar players, you know, Bob and Gary are completely different. And then my, you know, I, I do some guitar, but I leave it to those guys. And I do a lot of synthesizers and, and bass, of course. And then any other, uh, you know, weird electronic percussion or synthesizers or acoustic guitars or whatever. And then arrangement of the vocals. And so I have to cut songs up and make, you know, move them around. But it's been, it's... You know, it's been cool just to, to put these together and, and have a good time with it. And then we played that gig a couple of months ago, which was really weird since we'd never put those songs together. They, they were all built kind of in the studio, so we had to actually learn them. Uh, that was interesting. You know, and the show was awesome. And I don't know if we're going to play again. I'm assuming we will, but not right now, not in these times. It's too difficult for us to all get together. Well, I yeah. hope to see it at some point down the road. Yeah. Yep. It's just right now, it's just too, too much. You know, it would have, it'd be best because we've been offered one offs and it's like, man, you got to pay us a lot because we not only have to get flown all to the same place, we have to rehearse. Right. And so there's another couple of days of that. So if we could, you know, go do a short tour, that would be much better. And then they, you know, they all live in Southern California and I got to come from here. Mm-hmm. So that's also not that much fun, <laughs> you know. But it's cool yeah. to go to a yeah. studio. It was nice to go into somebody else's studio down there, and uh, and not have to worry about turning it one knob. I just sit there and they every day I just play. Mm-hmm. Not concerned. I've never. That's so rare for me to not have to be concerned with what's being recorded. It's like, it's got to be like a weight off your shoulders almost. It's like, oh my it, God, like I'm free. I can do whatever the fuck I want right now. Yep. It allows me to re- to relax and play with a clear head, you know, because I, I have a weird way of recording now myself that uh, it's, it comes from recording a lot of music by myself uh, where I do all the parts. I mean, I've got hundreds of songs where I've played all the parts that over the years and even tracking Moss records. It's weird that no band members, maybe there's been one or two cases where any of the other band members have ever seen me play guitar or sing in the studio. I do it completely alone all the time. I don't want anybody around me. And, uh, but I have to, I get to watch them because I have to, record <laughs> them. I have to be judgmental of what they do you know, and be the producer. 
that's one thing I do. I, I would like to say about the Moss Generator Records is they these records aren't just a band going into the studio recording our song. They're produced records. The songs are thought about in tone for everything and arrangement. Like it's like I try to produce the records song by song, you know, and that's that's super fun. And I rarely get to do that in a as a engineer. Very few bands have the money for me to sit there and critique their material, change things and get the, all the sounds that we would ever want, spend time. Uh, and that's super fun, especially if there's an engineer. Like I've gone to some places where the, I don't have to touch the recorder, but I can critique the, the music that's being made and, and, and help the players become better and help them do their parts better and help them arrange the songs. It's, that, that's super fun. That's like, that's would be ultimate for me to be able to do that all the time. Anyway, big scenic nowhere. New album, <laughs> new album. There's a, actually the, and also with big scenic this month that's coming out. So is the 20 year anniversary of the first Moss record. Argonauta uh, did a, a 20 year issue of it. We'll be getting those pretty soon. Oh, well, that's pretty and, fucking rad. Yeah, and they did. They just reissued our 2007. It was a 10-inch that came out. It was a 10-inch picture disc that came out in 2007. They did a reissue of it on 12-inch, and I did a full remix and everything, and made it what I want wanted it to be. Now, you know, I've always wanted it to be. I didn't ever like the mix on the original one. So, mm-hmm. and then I think they're going to do another record of all of our seven inches all on one record, so you don't have to put those. You know, you can get them all in one place. So we just have i just i have so much in the vaults that stuff can stuff can continue to be released even though we haven't put out a proper record since 2017 you know cuz being not with our drummer living in texas and me living in seattle that means that we can't make records as quick as we'd like especially in these times you know but we've got a new record we're working on now we've got about 80 minutes of material to dig through so it's that's going to be super super cool, and it's a lot different than our other records. It's just a lot. It's a big change, and the cool thing is, it's not that I think it's not going to ruin my career if people don't like it. What can you ruin? You know, right. you just make an honest record, and then if people dig it, they do, and if they don't, then that's fine. Right, they're just going to go buy the reissue of the first album. And that's fine too, because that's a great exactly. rock and roll record. And that's what that is. That first album is just a, it's a groovy, funky, hard rock record. Lots of killer groove on that one. Um, but anyway. well, it threw, it threw me off because, like, I I went, I made sure to listen to it today, and I <laughs> the songs sounded suddenly very familiar to me. And that's because there's on Spotify the number of the tracks from the first album are conflated with another album. So oh yeah. Well, we, because we, we re-recorded for song, you're talking about songs for future gods. Yes. Okay. So what happened with that was, so we made the first album and then we worked on an album called the late great planet earth, which is a concept album, which is my favorite album I've ever made in my life. It's really cool. What's that? It's really cool. Like I listened to that one too. I listened specifically to the version where it's just one track. So oh yeah, goes. that's because that's how it should be. Because there's no breaks in it. You know, this, the album has no breaks. It's one continuous 
piece of music. So, and then when we were making that, Smallstone wanted to do a record for us, but they didn't want to do Late Great Planet Earth. They thought as a debut that that record would be too dense or too, like not rock and rock enough. It was a concept and it was real dark. So we wrote songs for Future Gods, but since the guys at Smallstone liked the first album so much, we added some of those songs because the first album was already out of print. So we're like, okay, that's out of print already. And so let's go ahead and re-record some of these songs that no one has even heard yet anyway, generally. So that's why there's a few of those on there. Okay. Yeah. But there is a, a record coming out. We recorded songs for Future Gods twice. We recorded it the first time and I didn't like it. So we played the songs out live for about eight months and then recorded it again. But that first version has a complete album that doesn't have any songs from the first album. So anyway, yeah, this it's a, our discography is really confusing. There's so many releases and so many reissues. There's like, I think there's like 56 uh, releases. Damn. I, I have a, a very detailed discography that I keep. Every time a record comes out, I, I write down the information, what label, what it is, how many were pressed, and then other notes of like, if there's any mess ups on it, like, you know, this version, the eye is red on the crow and this one on this version, the eye is white. There's little things like that. So, and there's people that message me like looking up stuff, trying to find certain versions that they, they look up stuff on discogs or whatever, and they're looking for stuff like that. I, to complete, you know, no one will ever have a complete because there's some things that there's only five copies made, stuff like that. So, I mean, to be a completist, I think, I think I might not have everything. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. And that's the 56 or so releases is not including anything we've done on tribute albums or compilations, which is a lot of those too. So uh, if, you, if you're a um, if you're a Tony Reed completionist uh, out there and you have all this stuff, please email in. Right. Right. And then I'll let Tony know. <laughs> because there's all kinds of other records that I'm involved in as well. Other bands. You know, I'm in a fully active, like uh, alt country southern rock band right now that plays. We, we play out all the time. And it's like, you know, it's it's like if. Neil Young and Crazy Horse played the third Big Star record with Almond Brothers harmonies, harmony guitars. I mean, it's it's a, a really interesting band, and we play very quiet. We played with six watt seventies Fender Vibrochamp amplifiers on stage, and that's no, you know, so that's a super cool thing. There's I've done some solo albums, so yeah, the completest thing would be, uh, would be pretty difficult. And there's people that try, and that. And when I get those kind of emails, I'm totally floored that people care. And I'll, I'll, I'll immediately respond. Oh, thank you. You know, it's 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 to me, it's like I said, it's the reward, really. Mm -hmm. Because you don't, you know, you, you don't make a lot of money. You can, you can make money at this, especially if you're really, it's hard for me to be in the promotion part of it. That's because I'm so busy making the music. The promotion part seems to be like it's taking it away from me being creative. Yeah, general, I, I get that. What you need to do to be to promote as many records. There was a couple, of, I think it was not last year, but the year before, I released 12 records 
like I'm not, I, didn't, I was on 12 albums yeah so it, when you do that much a lot of times the pr agencies are like hey you ass slow down <laughs> you know that kind of stuff we can't but like like i kind of say it's like what are you going to do you know you're just going to do what you can and and hope somebody digs it at some point you know i mean i don't think there's a really a down pat right way to you know face the grind it's like however you do it you know i could do more promo for this if i wanted to but i i don't because i feel com- very comfortable with the way i'm approaching it right now yeah 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 i get it that's, and that's a that's i don't want to get too stressed out about it I, and i don't want to lose my creative uh flow that's really that that part gets in the way and i know it's not fair to sometimes record labels or the pr agents agencies that work with them i try to do my best to get what i can out there but i'm not a big fan of spending tons of time dealing with stuff on the internet but that's just me you know it's probably not the best idea but i guess i'll keep repeating myself (laughs) (laughs) hey it's worked for you this this far right yeah, I guess it could be better, but, and I, you know, I've put some stuff out of my own label and I, and I re- realized how difficult it is to own a record label. So that's another, you know, I can look at things through different eyes mm-hmm. in the industry and uh, yeah, it's super, it's super annoying to do it because it takes a lot of time. You really have to be, that kind of almost has to be your focus. You can't do other things and own a record label. That has to be what you're, you're into. And there's some pretty there's some people really getting a lot of stuff done in, in these small, in these indie labels. You know, they're, I've seen lots of uh, labels rise up over the years. It's like the festivals, the festivals will start, you know, it'll be 300 people. And then by, you know, five years later, there'll be four rooms, you know, in the largest ones, like 1200 and, and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, you'll, you'll see, you'll see all kinds of stuff you just see it rising it's it's pretty it's pretty neat to witness you know especially people you know that are working really hard that's got to be like after you know being at it for so long though like to have someone reach out to you with something fucking obscure that like you know you're like damn even i forgot about that that's got to be like one of the most rewarding parts of it you know i mean i think you even said that you know like you're it's like you're kind of a great example of someone who just sort of like touches all the facets of music well, I, I would like to think that 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 people are open minded enough to to explore that what I, the same or, you know, if I'm going to explore, they're willing to explore, too. You know, you you, you give them that that credit. And that's why I'm, I'm less afraid to do it, because I know at least some people will follow and listen or at least give it a chance. Yeah. And, you know, but, you know, and especially like that, that goth stuff I'm redoing, a lot of people seem to be, there's more people into that kind of music than you would think. And especially people that, that follow the heavy rock type of thing that, that Moss is doing. There's a lot of people that enjoy, you know, the, the, the goth thing. So that makes me even less, you know, I've been, I've been adding it even more to the new Moss generator songs. So it'll it'll make its little appearance there more than it has in the past. There's been little little pieces of it throughout, but not I haven't really introduced that too much into the Moss sound, and, and it's a huge part of, of of my history as a musician. 
and the listeners still, like I said, big, big fan of that stuff. They're not explicitly goth, but I mean, you did a cover of a Chelsea Wolf song and that kind of like, that's sort of like the, the crossroads right there. I even saw yeah. a picture of the two of you on your Instagram. That, well, I got to give her the single mm -hmm. that day. That was like, I can't remember where that was at. It was in some festival in Europe. I was playing bass for CD Jesus. And I was too, I was too shy to give her the single. So Lex pushed, Hey, this guy wants to give you something. And she was nice enough to, you know, take a picture with me and stuff. But we, we've done, we've done some other covers. Like we did a joy division song, which, mm -hmm. you know, dead souls is, a, is an amazing song. And it's weird that some people I, I did nine inch nails do that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 actually like it's one of my favorite covers too. Okay, and I didn't know they did it. So people, some people thought that we did a Nine Inch Nails song. <laughs> <laughs> That's like when people cover uh, uh, Johnny Cash, but they don't realize they're covering Nine Inch Nails. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So, and we've probably done some other goth covers. I mean, we've done recorded a lot of covers over the years because just why not especially if you have your own studio and even our rehearsals are set up with an a-track you know a lot of our early recordings and 70s were done on an a-track just you know even the first album was done on an a-track so it's just like you know you just have that stuff available all the time and you might as well just record oh let's do this okay you know things things come out sometimes <laughs> Well, besides uh, working on the goth stuff and the new uh, Moss Generator album, do you have anything else in the works right now? Well, I did an acoustic album. Ripple released an acoustic album about a year and a half ago, or I think maybe two. And I've been talking with, uh, so I'm kind of pulling that out again. I've been talking with Connie Oaks about doing a split 12-inch acoustic and then and possible like an acoustic tour in Europe at some point in time. So him and I are both kind of, talking about the direction so there's that uh there's the hot hot spring water the the country rock band that we have an, an album coming out and we're putting a tour together um i know there's tons of stuff that wood rot band this is all the stuff coming out this year that wood rot band uh the metal band from the 90s uh that that record's coming out and of course the big scenic and uh oh yeah and then the Moss, you know, the 20 year that's coming out for to celebrate that was started last week, the original rhythm section. And we were practicing. We're going to go out and play a few shows where we just play the first album. So it'll be like a reunion of the original guys. Oh, that's really and cool. We're only playing the first album from front to back, you know, and uh, and we, we're still because we, we've also been playing 1230 Dreamtime re rehearsing that just we get together every couple of years and we do certain eras. Uh, so we're, we're still all really good friends and close and, and play music together. It's just, you know, Moss Generator needed to carry on and, and, and be able to move forward as a touring band and a prolific writing band. So that's why that, but it's, it's cool that they, cause they were pretty upset when I let them go. That was like 2014 that there were some, but we've all gone past that. And we've, we've been friends way too long to let that ruin mm -hmm. anything. And I'm, I, I, I'm really happy about that because they're, they're my soulmates as, as musicians really like, you know, 
they just we can read each other you know we could literally just write you, we can go out on stage and write a record on stage there's that much chemistry involved you know if i start a riff they're in and we 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 just read each other and so there'll be a there'll be quite a bit of that on that reunion show because we only want to play the first album and the first album's 31 minutes but there used to be jam sections in some of these songs on stage. So we'll, we'll knock that out to 45 or an hour just from free forming. Looking forward to that. So there's, there's already a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on. Uh, we did have to cancel. Moss had to cancel a European tour for April. We were going to play Desert Fest London and then do a tour after that. We, we canceled that a while back see, foreseeing what was going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to canceled before it was announced desert fest was announced but the rest of the tour wasn't and so we got out of it before it got announced and now it's like falling apart it, it appears to be like everybody's canceling tours and stuff hopefully we can we can reconnect after the new album's going to be really cool just to finish the album and go out after that yeah i mean i hope to i hope that eventually we'll get back to a point where like you know kind of comfortable touring is a thing that happens again. So, cause I gotta, I gotta cross Moss Generator off my list of bands to see. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool to get over on that side again. It's been quite a while. I think the last time we played, where do you live actually? I'm in Brooklyn. Okay. So yeah, the last time we played in, in New York was uh, with Fu Manchu. That was a great show. I can't remember. It was huge. Uh, the Bowery, the ballroom. Yeah, I think that's what Bob said. We we toured a few years before that with Atomic Bitchwax, and we played the Bowery Electric in that room. Boy, that that stage you couldn't even fit a drum set on hardly. And then they <laughs> wanted this crappy backline. They wanted you to use like, like these little combo amps. I'm like, get out of here! Like, there's no way. And so we had somebody through a fit, and we actually got to use our stuff. But yeah. I've, I've been in there once and I was like, eh, this is not the best. No, but you know, it's a get. it's, you know, we're playing in New York. And so you look at it that way. Right. Know, try to look at it positive as much as possible. I don't have too many other questions for you. So if there's anything you want to plug long morrow is out now, you can get that. Um, but if there's anything else you want to, let people know about. I mean, you said all the upcoming stuff you're going to be releasing with uh, from the old bands. But if you want to direct people to check out your stuff, where can they find you? Just try to find, you know, that Moss Generator 20 is coming out. There's a couple of tribute albums, too. A Blois to Colt tribute album uh, is coming out. God, what else? I, there's so much that I should, I should write it down in these situations, but I don't. So just you'll find it if you're interested. <laughs> just look up the band or me or whatever anywhere so that's me being the pr nightmare <laughs> you know what i mean well yeah just look for, it up uh, i was just say I'll, I'll i'll throw you an assist and just say to go check out the moss generator band camp and you'll find tons of really good material on there that's probably your best bet and then i have i have a tony reed one that has like you know my other stuff there's a, like a tony reed band camp and you know because that has all my others like stone axe and constant's tomb and my solo stuff and all that on there too and then there's the hot spring so yeah there's hot spring waters band camp so the i don't know or there's yeah anyway 
<laughs> so yeah, you, you got the, you got the right idea. <laughs> yeah. So all right. Well, I won't. Uh, I won't make you do uh, any more PR. Uh, so, but um, thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, thanks for giving me another chance after uh, the botch session yesterday. It was it was really great uh, to be able to speak to you under uh, much better circumstances. Uh, it's it's been really cool to dive into the discography and the new big scenic nowhere album is really fucking good. So everyone should go check that out. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Uh, you know, stay safe out there and everything like that. And I hope to see you on the East coast in the future. And, uh, that'll do it for this chapter of the diary. Thank you for having me.